Hello, I'm Paul Baines-Fair and I'm the Director General of the IPA and this is the IPA podcast. This week I'm interviewing Karen Blackett. Karen is not only the Chief Executive of Mediacom, but is the first businesswoman to top the Powerlist 100, which champions the most influential black people in Britain today. So here I am with Karen Blackett, one of advertising's most successful women, um, CEO of Mediacom. Karen, thank you for letting us come and talk to you. Absolute pleasure. Now, what I wanted to ask you was how you got into advertising in the first place, because um, some people find they just drop into it, others kind of have a determination to get into it. Which camp were you in? I was one that discovered advertising. So I um, did a geography degree at the University of Portsmouth, who just made me a doctor of the University of Portsmouth. So you're Dr Karen. I am now Dr Karen Blackett. Um, And I did a geography degree. And when I finished, the geography degree was... um, Everybody thinks it's just about countries and places or meteorology, but it was actually a really broad grounding in lots of things, and it was full of people that didn't know what they wanted to do when they finished. And I left Portsmouth... Um, moved up to London, uh, living at my sister's place who was working in London and uh, I started applying for jobs and there, part of the geography degree that I did there was a statistics part of the course and I saw a job advertised in the independent newspaper for a media auditor and I applied for the role, not quite sure what it was um, but it said you needed to be good at maths, you needed to have a good command of statistics, so I thought I'd apply for the role, and it was Billets, which was part of C- CIA at the time. Right. So I went along um, to an interview with Andy Perch, um, who credits my rise in the industry due to him, because he says he discovered <laughs> me, um, and I got through the first interview, I was asked to go back for a second interview, and... Uh, so ironic, present on the pros and cons of advertising on Sky TV um, for my second interview. And I... So how, when was this? How long This ago? was 1992. Right. Because I then started in April 93. So, so Sky was quite a it young medium. It was very medium new, yeah, very, yeah. very new. And I rang one of my sister's friends um, who she had graduated with, who was a junior brand manager at Unit. Unilever I think she was at to say pros and cons of Sky TV can you give me some tips she rang her agency they gave me some tips I put together a presentation um, and sort of went back and presented and in that presentation I don't know what it was but they must have seen something in me and thought oh let's move let's recommend that she goes upstairs to uh, CIA direct to the media planning and buying floor because I think she'll be better planning and buying than being, being a policeman. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So I then went upstairs, had an interview at CIA Direct, and that's how I fell into the industry. And I didn't really know about media agencies. I obviously knew about advertising and ad agencies and the creative side, but I didn't know that media agencies existed. And my mum and dad were first-generation immigrants from Barbados. Um, they'd come over here when they were 19, and they wanted myself and my sister to have a profession mm. um, and have a profession which was of good standing, which would be respectable or was seen as respectable back in the West Indies. So my sister was an accountant um, and they wanted me to be an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher. 
um, something which was a professional revocation. Um, and that just wasn't for me. It really wasn't for me. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something a little bit different, but I didn't know what. So I sort of fell into media. And I'd always had a love of advertising. So I love those, there's ads that I could remember on TV when I was growing up, which I'd love. Um, but I didn't know about the planning of the campaigns. Um, I was always interested in what made one person choose one brand over another or one product over another, but didn't know I could make that a living. So I sort of fell into um, media planning and buying. Um, and thank God. Um, so thank you, Andy Perch. All down to him. All clearly. down to him, yeah. <laughs> now, it's funny you mentioned, you know, that your parents wanted you to do uh, more of a kind of quali quality profession, mm. shall we say, rather mm. than what we do. I think we do professional I think things, do but professional things. other people might mm. aver from that. But um, is that? do you think that's a, uh, a kind of ongoing problem with trying to encourage more diversity into our industry? Because, I mean, I've heard that before. Yeah. It's not that, you know, a young Asian kids or black kids don't want to come into it, but their parents, you know, discourage them. Um, yeah, I think it was my mum and dad didn't know about the industry. They didn't know about it. Um, so they didn't know that I could make a career from it. And they didn't know anybody that was in the industry. So I do think part of the problem with encouraging more people from different ethnic backgrounds to come into the industry is a programme that has to be done with first generation um, mm. immigrants. So with parents and grandparents, not just the individual, um, because they don't know about the industry and they worry about their child going into an industry where they may be one of few people of colour mm. um, and where they don't know how it works in terms of promotions, they don't know how it works in terms of qualifications. And my dad was always one, an incredibly bright man, um, but sort of, you know, left school at 15 and then came over to the UK and did an apprenticeship um, for BT, which was the post office at the time. Uh, to become an engineer, a BT engineer. And he was always about education is power because that allows you to go on and do things and it can never be taken away from you. So he was always concerned about having a job which led to a qualification, um, which he saw would then be a profession, which no matter where you could, that was transferable, you could work anywhere with that. So I do think part of the issue with the industry is about parents, um, is about ensuring that it is a profession, that there are qualifications and that there are transferable skills as well. Um, and I, it, it is a bit of a barrier. It is a barrier mm. because it's not well known. And of course, um, there's, a, there's a great uh, conversation going on about uh, women in advertising as well. Um, so you sort of tick all the boxes. Don't you? <laughs> and you've got here at uh, Medicom, you've got a lot of very senior women, haven't you? I mean, you've got Jane, Jane yeah, Ratcliffe, so you've got Claudine. 57% of our C-suite is women. So of my C-suite team of seven, four women, three men. Now, is that, how did that come about? Did you, did, did, is that something you were determined to do? or it's, you, you want talent to shine and you want talent to rise. So it's not about putting women in those places. It's putting the best people in those places for that role. But it's allowing the conditions for those people to come through. So before myself, um, you obviously had Jane as CEO, she's now chairman, and before Jane you had Nick Lawson, and I think what they saw was talent, and they were determined to allow mm -hmm. talent to come through, and it's about, I think we've had a culture at the agency 
which allows people to be, and I've always talked about MediaCon being a broad church of people, um, that we're all very different, and that's encouraged. Um, and what we have at the agency is a parameters and conditions and foundations to allow people, whatever their gender, whatever their ethnic background, to actually succeed. So it's about embracing difference, not being scared of difference, and actually understanding people's blend. So I've launched at the agency this year something called Project Blend, which is about, I hate the term work-life balance. I, I really do. And I've worked with an incredible um, maternity coach called Anna Rasmussen, who um, introduced me to the word blend, um, which is, you know, everybody's blend is different. So what is important in your life, so whether that's going to Greece for a, a week or whether that's about making sure that you can play a certain sport, everybody's blend is different. You get the best out of individuals if you understand their blend. And sometimes different bits of their blend need to be prioritised over others. And a good employer will understand their employee's blend. If you do that, you'll have a loyal employee, a happy employee, and one that can build great relationships. So Project Blend is about allowing managers to have the right conversations with their employees um, about their life blend, because work is life and life is work. Um, mm. And it's all developed around an app. So it's about an app. An app? Yeah, so it's an app which we're piloting, which basically you have to um, put down what your blend is, your eight most important criteria, and then you have conversations about how you're managing your blend. So that may change at different times. So do you share the app with your manager? Yes, oh, okay. so the, app, the manager has it, the employee has it, and you have conversations which are diarised to talk about your blend. Um, part of that's about getting to know your people better, um, and if you get to know your people better, that means that you can have the right conversations at the right time when people are struggling with certain elements. And we encourage new fathers as well as new mums um, to really participate in Project Blend because that's when you see that pinch point really happen mm. where you've got new mums or new dads which have suddenly got new responsibilities and trying to make it all work. So, I mean, that, it sounds like a brilliant innovation. And, of course, on top of that, you've got you've got the role models such as yourself and, and the others you've mentioned here at mm. the top. So have, have you have you found that that gives Mediacom an edge over other businesses in terms of attracting people? I mean, do you feel that, you mentioned that, you know, the people here, you, you, you go out of your way to look after them, you, you know, you're working on things like Blend and all the mm. rest of it. Do you, does that give you an edge in the marketplace in terms of hiring? I think, I think it helps for sure in terms of hiring because I think we are known as having... And, and you would know from the IPA in terms of our gold credentials when Absolutely. it comes to training. Um, I think we're known in the marketplace for having a really good training programme, which isn't just about professional qualifications, but also about well-being as well. Um, so I think that is really helpful. Clearly, when you're at the younger end and you're entering in the into the industry, remuneration and the financial remuneration is incredibly important but then when you put that into one place you've then got to look at all the other areas and how they're going to develop you in terms of an organisation and I do think it helps I do think it it helps that we've got quite a good training programme that we do try and go above and beyond the training programme to really understand our people it says people first better results as our sort of end line for Mediacom and I genuinely believe that I really do. Great. Um, now, media. Yes. 
it's it's just changing all the time, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing. It's yeah, brilliant. It's exciting. Yeah, it, it must be hard to keep on top of it. It's dynamic. It's yeah. it's so different from when I first came into the industry. I mean, we just talked about how you know Sky TV had only really just started. Yeah. Um, Whereas if I think about my planners now who enter the industry compared to when I entered the industry, they've got a lot more to cope with. They've got a lot more to think about and their target audience and consumers have more choice as well. So that makes it difficult to ensure that your client's brand or product is seen, is visible and that you can influence behaviour. It, it, it's, it's hard because you've got the explosion of digital, you have to think about how your TV advertising is going to work with SEO, you've got to think about whether advertising is the right thing, is it something beyond an ad that you might need to do in order to make sure that you raise your head above the parapet, it's, it's, it's much more complicated and I do think that is another reason why you need diversity in your team because you mm. need that diversity of experience, that wealth of knowledge, whether that's the younger end of the spectrum, whether it's different social grades, whether it's different ethnic origins, you need that because essentially your workforce should reflect the people you're trying to talk to and that wealth of experience you need to bring under one roof. I really do believe that. What's the biggest single challenge, do you think, for someone like you running a big media company now? Um, for me, I would say it's about we've got five offices in the UK and it's about every office knowing how we do things. So it's making sure that we're all rowing in the same direction. So it is impossible for me to be able to have a conversation with 1,100 people on a one-to-one -one basis. So making sure that I find the right management team that can diffuse that information and to make sure that they're keeping everybody on board, that's the, that's the biggest challenge. Um, in terms of media knowledge, um, it's making sure we have the programmes in place to make sure that everybody's up to speed. So I grew up in an era where you know, there was an email when I started in, in the industry. So for me, digital's like a fitness programme. You've got to keep at it. You mm. literally can't take your finger off the pulse. You can't take your foot off the pedal. You've got to keep at it or else it's all going to go horribly wrong. So, but for others, so the, the apprentices that we have at the agency, it's, it's literally like second nature to them because they've grown up with it. Mm. And it's making sure that the people in the, in, the, in the agency who are sort of my era and my age group, that we're as up to speed as our young apprentices and execs to make sure that we're able to have the right conversation. So being able to be a generalist now I think is incredibly challenging because you have to know a bit about everything and be able to advise your clients. That's challenging which means that you constantly have to keep training. And you mentioned clients and obviously we we can't do what we do without our clients. Um, some people said to me that there's almost an obsession with digital amongst some clients. In other words they've they, they kind of lost sight of you know how media should be used in the round. I mean, is that something that you, you have to deal with? or I think I don't think there's an obsession with digital. I think for some clients, cause, because they're the same era, um, it's, again, for them, it's like a fitness programme and it might be a bit of a blind spot. So it could be an overemphasis in an area which they feel less comfortable with. But I think what's brilliant about media is not one or the other, it's about how it all integrates and inter intertwines. I think that's what's really interesting about 
it's not all about traditional media and the death of traditional media and digitals now at the fore. It's about how it all works together to create a brilliant system of communication rather than a silo of communication. So how TV works with search, how TV works with SEO, how can you use content that might be sitting on a website, how can you make sure that you work with a PR team to make sure that any events that you're doing actually come back into that communication system. So I don't think there's an obsession with digital, I think there's an obsession with making sure you understand it and mm. that you understand that you're, what the latest innovations are, um, but it's if you obsess at it, obsess with it at your peril because you can't forget about traditional media and how it works together because it's about a system, not a silo. And how, um, how well do you integrate with the creative agencies that, that are working with you on, on those same clients? Uh, is that, is that, does that come naturally or do you have better relationships with some than others? How, how does that work? I think what the best relationships at, at the agency that we have is when there's no egos involved because it's not about uh, one person's idea is better than the other and it's about a clarification of roles as well. Um, so I firmly believe that our role is to make sure that we connect consumers to communications, to clients' content. So that is what our role is. That piece of content may be an ad, which the creative agency has come up with. It may be something else, which may have been made by a media owner. Our role is to distribute and connect consumers to that piece of content. And I think the best working relationships that we have with creative agencies is where we're briefed together. So there's a client responsibility where we're briefed together, where we can then go away and work on something together. And there's that brilliant triad of client, ad agency, media agency, really working together and actually spending time in each other's offices. Those are the best relationships that I see and the best results that you get in terms of an ad campaign or a communication campaign at the back of it. So I know that our team love working with BBH and we work with BBH on a number of clients and they're really open to new ideas, they're fantastic. We love working with Adam and Eve and those guys on VW Group um, because again there's some fantastic ideas that come out of that agency. AMV we've worked with on Met Police and again groundbreaking ideas come out of that agency and it's about how you then bring in media owners as part of that partnership when you've when you've nailed the strategy. Of course there's times where you have a few handbags at dawn, of course there's times when that that can happen but that's normally because the clarity of roles hasn't been defined um, and normally because the client isn't being fair or isn't being directive enough about what they want from each of the, the agencies. But normally, I have to say, fingers crossed, um, we work quite well with our mm. uh, creative agency partners and it has to be about partnership. And I, th I think agencies, general, I'm generalising now, are more collaborative mm. than they were, you know, perhaps when you started in mm. the business, certainly when I started, um, you know, I usually found myself working in the creative agency and it was keep everybody away, mm. you know, this is our baby. Mm. And I think people have grown up now and they realise, mostly because the clients are yeah. insisting on it, and yeah. there are, you know, it also gets back to all the different specialists you need yeah. with the panoply of media and, and technology and everything else. So I think people are more 
I well, think so. I mean, collaborate. when I started, it was... Uh, I remember pitching with creative agencies and we had the last five minutes at the end, which was... It was, the, you know, the spreadsheet to show where how much money you're going to spend. And it's not like that anymore. You are very integrated in terms of how you present. Um, you know, if I think about some of the WPP agencies that we work with, it's incredibly integrated. So whether that's uh, a Grey or a JWT, it's, it's quite integrated. It's not, here's the brilliant ideas and this is media at the end to tell you how much it's going to cost. It's not like that anymore. Um, so it is very different. Yeah, yeah I, I can see that. And mm. I think media, a lot of creative agencies, I think, quite envy the relationship that media agencies have managed to forge with their clients. Mm. Um, which seems to be often stronger, mm. uh, partly because I think the, the the creative agencies are always trying to sell an idea, whereas mm. media seem more as a, if you like, a science, I suppose. I think there's tangibles in mm. terms of the role of, of a, a media agency because there's tangibles in terms of the data that you may get to know whether or not something's working, so whether that's a regression analysis in terms of an econometric model or whether it's about some other form of proof point to look at the accountability of what you do. Um, I think there's more tangibles. And I think being able to get closer to a client when you have data which they allow you to access is fantastic because that's a powerful relationship. And when you can use that data, fuse it with other data points, with other third-party data, you've got, you've got the best of both worlds. So... There is that benefit that media agencies have um, when clients are prepared to share data. And I think part of what we do at Mediacom, and I know other media agencies do, is put part of our KPIs based on client success. That doesn't mean that everything you do in terms of your media world is going to have be the only thing that's caused certain business KPIs to perform but it's part of the intention of having a good collaborative working relationship that you have to put skin in the game. So part of your fee is based on how well a client does. And I think media agencies have been really prepared to do that, to link themselves with tangible business KPIs rather than metrics such as ad awareness. Um, it's tangible business KPIs. You mentioned pitching just now. Mm. And we were talking before before we started the interview about how much is media business in play at the mm. moment in the world. Do mm. you think there's a reason for that, or is it just...? Uh, I think there is more... It's interesting, because, you know, up until a couple of weeks ago, it, it looked as though, before the Chinese market had a little bit of a sniffle, it looked as though we were going back to good times, mm. back to a period of... They're rallying this morning, yeah. Chinese stocks, yeah. apparently, yeah. A, a period of confidence again and I think it's really interesting you see I think we're quite a bellwether um, for the industry because we've got such a broad base of clients at the agency from different genres and it's interesting you sort of that there is money there to be spent there is definitely a buoyancy and if you look at any of the predictions for the TV market in terms of how it's going to be up this year in terms of revenue um, there is buoyancy in terms of client spend I noticed during the election period that there was hesitation until we knew who was going to be in, whether or not we're going to have another coalition government or a single party government. And after the election, whatever your politics are, there's confidence which has been renewed because there's a single party government back in play. 
So I do think there was more confidence back in the marketplace, um, which allows clients to think about, well, let's look at our relationship again. Let's make sure we are we have got the best value. Let's make sure that we are with the right agency. So there's a bit of renewed confidence, but also in the back of the mind is also, well, we don't know when the next time we're going to get a cold. So let's make sure we've got absolutely the right players in place to help ride through whatever the next financial crisis or financial yes. period could be so clients are still holding back money but there's money there they're spending um but i'd say they're not spending as much as in advance as they could do so the yeah. the, the the budgets are there but they're still holding them back in place well you know we did well, you mentioned bellwether we have a bellwether report which you'll mm. be aware of and, mm. and the, every quarter we get we get good feedback mm. on what the confidence is mm. and it's very interesting because it as you say, clients have been spending more, mm. uh, but they're still quite not the confidence that they used to be. And I wonder whether that massive shock everybody got, yes. you know, in 2008, yeah. Yeah. has just left quite a hangover in terms yeah. of, of, of confidence. Um, it might never come back in the yeah. way that it was. Do you know, I, I would love to see more CMOs um, and marketing directors sitting on the boards of our clients' companies because that I, be, I genuinely believe that uh, when there is a lack of confidence or a financial crisis that you have to, that's the time to invest. Yeah. That's the time to invest. Or when you come out of that period, you're ahead of the game. And that only happens if you have somebody that understands communications and understands consumer behaviour sitting on the board of companies. And it, uh, cool. You've, you, well, you know, I'm a, a big supporter of that view. Yeah. And uh, I think the... Uh, Peter Drucker, you know, the famous management yeah. um, consultant and, and writer said, the only things that make money in business are marketing and innovation. Mm. You know? And yet too many big organisations look at marketing as a cost. Yes, um, it's instead an of investment, investment, not yeah. a cost. Absolutely right. Totally right. So, well, look, um, let's talk a bit about, about you again. Okay. Um, uh, you've got a famous cricketing relative, I know. <laughs> Tell us about that. Uh, a very good uh, family friend, um, who I sort of call my little godfather, is Gordon Greenwich. So, one of the greats. Absolutely, one of the greats. Um, and uh, my son, I've got a five-year-old son. His second birthday present was a bat and ball, cricket bat and ball. And when the weather allows, we're out in the garden in Chiswick, practicing. And when we're over in Barbados, we're practicing. Gordon seems to be spending more time teaching him how to fly paper planes and make paper planes, but I'd rather he was <laughs> there teaching him to hit the ball. But um, I was brought up on cricket, so my earliest memory as a kid, uh, my dad was obsessed with cricket, uh, was going to um, the Oval and watching the West Indies in the 70s when oh, yeah. they were just amazing. What um, a team, yeah. So that's my earliest memory, and I remember coming home from school and hearing, uh, you know, the test, hearing that on in one of the rooms because somebody was watching cricket. So uh, I was brought up on it, and I still love going to the games now. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, I, when I do these interviews, I always ask for your hero. Mm. It can be anyone, dead or alive. And I'm going to ask you now, I wonder if it's going to be someone from the world of cricket. Garfield Sobers. Ah. So um, I think what a amazing man who dignified, uh, so Sir Garfield Sobers, dignified, fantastic, focused, talented, 
Um, and I think he did a lot in terms of the international relations of West Indians on the world stage. I Because he was a great ambassador and a great spokesman. Um, so definitely one of my heroes, along with Clive Lloyd as well, um, who, you know, captained the West Indies team when they were amazing. Um, so there's a couple of cricketers in there. Um, Trevor MacDonald as well, I'd have to say, because again, when I was growing up in Reading um, in the 70s, um, for years I thought I was related to Trevor MacDonald, A, because he looked so much like my dad, right. and B, because my dad was so proud of having this ambassador to represent the West Indies on the box in the corner of the telly broadcasting to the nation. So it was like he was a family member because everybody was so proud yes. um, of what he had achieved and what he was doing. To have a black face at that time on TV doing the news was amazing. So massive trailblazer um, and a hero. And then my mum and dad, my parents, I know it's a cliche, but I think at the age of 19 to leave a tiny island with 250,000 people, there must have been at the time, to come to somewhere incredibly different, cold, where, where not everybody was particularly welcoming and to sort of set myself and my sister on a good path and to build a home, I think is an amazing thing to do. I don't know if I could have done it Brilliant. at 19. I saw Gary Sobers in 1965 Did when you? I was a very small boy. Oh, at the amazing. Oval, actually. Really? Yeah. yeah. So he's amazing. one of my heroes, too. Yeah. Well, that, that's lovely. And, of course, we also have to ask you for a book recommendation. What, what book would you, having uh, all the books you've read, which would you recommend? My favourite book um, is To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, love that book. Um, I just think it has such a brilliant story about race relations. Um, so love To Kill a Mockingbird. I also love... Um, so the uh, Dean of the University of Portsmouth is Sandy Toxic, and one of her books is Girls Are Best. Hello. So a lot of uh, my new mums at the agency who have little girls, I give them that book to try. And I also I read it to my son, actually, um, to make sure that they absolutely fill their young daughters with confidence that they can achieve because there's so many female characters in history that haven't been recognised who have done amazing things and you hear about all the men and not the women. So Sandy Toxic Girls Are Best, fantastic book. And then my chief strategy officer, Sue Uniman, uh, wrote a book called Tell the Truth, which is about how brands and clients, when it comes to marketing, it's about being authentic, uh, not trying to sell and say that your brand or product is something that it isn't. So her book, Tell the Truth, I would encourage people to read as well. Very good. Well, I'm not going to be, you know, like, it's not like Desert Island is. You're, you're allowed more than one. So they're, they're all good recommendations, I'm sure. Well, look, Karen, it's been an absolute joy Thank talking you. to you. Thank you, it has. Thanks it's for giving you a time. good way to start the morning. Yeah, Thank I said it would go quickly. That's I know, it did, really Half an quickly. hour, bang, gone. So uh, good luck with everything. Good Thank luck with you. these big pictures. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank Paul. I hope you enjoyed listening to Karen Blackett. Well, from one successful woman to another, because next time I hope to be interviewing Nicola Madison. Nicola was at one time the IPA president. She worked at PPH and Kamarama, and she's now the European VP for Facebook and has been called the most successful British woman in the tech industry. This has been Paul Bainsfair, and this has been the IPA podcast. 